excuse me one moment here while I load up my tea and water and cough drops and all the other things to combat the fact that I just hit puberty this morning. So <laughs> voice is changing. It's nice to finally get to that point in my life. Just note the time and day that today is the day that my voice changed. Um, I have actually not been feeling good this last week, as you can probably tell, but I feel great right now. Actually, I sound real bad, but I feel so good because it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to see you guys, and physically, I actually feel really good. I just, uh, I just sound like, you know, a 12-year-old, um, so that's fine. Um, listen, I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit real quickly about a couple things. One is just who we are as a church and where we're headed so you can pray with us and get excited with us about what's going on uh, down the road and some, <coughs> some of the things that have happened around here and some of the direction that we're headed. And the other pieces, I just want to remind you to pray for our international workers and one situation in particular. And so start with the, the vision of who we are. If you've been around Bayview Glen for any length of time, you know that our goal, our mission, our desire is to glorify God, foster community, and make disciples. We want to make much of Jesus. If you leave today and you don't remember my name and you don't remember the name of Bayview Glen, that's fine. We want you to remember the name of Jesus. We want to glorify God, lift his name up, make much of him. We want to foster community among believers and non-believers because we know that everybody needs Christian friends. Whether you know Jesus, whether you said yes to him or not said yes to him, everybody needs Christian friends. So we try to do that around here with things like fan and young adult group and uh, small groups and, you know, you name it. We, we have all kinds of other stuff going on. And the last piece is we want to train people. We want to uh, make disciples, glorify God, foster community, and, and make disciples. And the way that we do that is kind of a threefold strategy. It's worship, community, and training. Worship is what you experience here on a Sunday morning. We sing to Jesus. We lift him up. We make much of him. We hear from his word together. That's the worship piece. And then the training piece is, is you know, some of the classes that we've done. And Kevin talked about that a little while ago. Uh, we do all kinds of things, all kinds of tools to equip you with specific tools that you need to live an authentic Christian life. And we kind of talk about that motto all the time, equipping people with the specific tools that they need to live an authentic Christian life. We, like I said, we run classes. We got Right Now Media, all kinds of stuff to equip you with the specific tools you need to live an authentic Christian life. I said that three times. It must be very important. So... Um, the other piece is that community piece. And what we're trying to do is create environments to help foster Christian friendships. And, and you know, group, you know, churches call them small groups and life groups and community groups and growth groups and all that kind of stuff. But really what we're trying to do is get people together so they can develop Christian friendships. And so again, if you've been around Baby Glenn any length of time, you might go, wow, I, you know, the worship piece, I, I, I come to that. That's great. And then the training piece, yeah, maybe I've been to a class or two. Maybe I've checked out rightnowmedia.org. What about that community piece? What are we doing there? And here's what we're doing. We've uh, asked an elder, Marlon de Blasio, to chair a search committee. And three members of our congregation are on that search committee. And here's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're going after uh, someone to lead up that part of our mission, vision, and strategy. Really what we're going after is a community pastor. And the role, that role, that person that's, that's going to kind of lead us in that direction, their goal is going to be to recruit, train, and mobilize leaders. That's some of you, by the way, just so you know when that person gets here, we're going to be beating that drum. Uh, recruit, train, and mobilize leaders to help us create environments to develop Christian friendships. We, I mean, if, like I said, you've been around church any length of time, or if you've read the Bible at all, you know that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. As Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley would say, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in rows, but in circles. We turn around and face one another, get into one another's life and live life together. So uh, if you have some ideas or if you maybe even know somebody or, uh, you know, if, if you <clears throat> want to maybe even help shape that, I would I invite you to come to me, come talk to me. We would love to get your feedback on what that community pastor piece, what that role that person uh, could be doing or should be doing or whatever. So come talk to me or you can also come talk to Marlon de Blasio. You can uh, email us on the website, jump online. Marlon's one of our elders. 
calendars. His picture is online, and so you can jump on and see his picture so you can know who you're looking for on any given Sunday morning. But we're really excited about that piece of what we're doing because we have so many things that are happening already, but we know we need to take some more steps in that direction to help create environments to develop and facilitate Christian friendships. Everybody with me on that? Nod your head and we'll keep going. Good. Perfect. All right. And then the second thing you might be wondering is like, okay, that training piece, Kevin is the training pastor. What are we going to do because he's moving to the Middle East? Is he going to phone in or what's, what's going on here? No, Kevin's not going to phone in. Uh, what we've done is over the last couple of years, and, and this, is, <laughs> this is so exciting for me because this is how the body of Christ is supposed to work. We have an individual in our congregation who just loves God and loves his word. And that individual has been um, taking seminary courses the last couple of years. I've joked that she is like me and she's a master's degree hoarder. Uh, She's going after two right now, a master's degree in biblical studies and a master's degree in Christian education, which is exactly what we're doing in our training program. And for the last two years, she's been an intern and interned under Kevin to help us launch this training program. And if you know Joy Kwaipun at all, you know that She's absolutely brilliant. She's wonderful with people. She's an outstanding uh, woman of God who just loves God's word and loves to help others understand God's word. And so as of January 1 of this year, Joy is now on full-time staff here at Bayview Glen as our training director. Would you welcome Joy to full-time staff? And, and so she's going to kind of work alongside that community pastor under the community pastor's leadership to kind of carry the mantle of training forward to continue to equip us with the specific tools we need to live an authentic Christian life. And we've got all kinds of great training classes coming up. Gordon Smith is coming in again to do a training class called Navigating uh, Life and Career Transitions. Just absolutely great classes. Joy has done one this last couple of weeks called uh, Unlocking the Scriptures. Maria Kahn, the Director of Spiritual Formation, at Tyndale has done one these last few weeks called um, Talking with God on Prayer. We just have all these great classes and Joy is going to continue to lead that as we transition and and commission Kevin and Grace and see those guys head out to the Middle East and then Joy is going to kind of take that mantle. So we're so thrilled about what's on the horizon here and what God's doing and and really the leadership that he's providing for us. Encourage you to just keep praying for that community pastor, pray for that individual that, that God would just lead that search committee and lead our staff to that right person as they help us create opportunities for Christian friendships here in our congregation. Second thing I want to remind you about is that we've got international workers all across the world, workers that we support. Kevin and Grace will be some of those here in about six or seven months. Uh, But one of our international workers in particular is experiencing a little bit of a challenge uh, these last couple of days. Mm. Tim and Janice Phillips, if you guys know Tim and Janice Phillips, they're serving in, in Niger or Niger, depending on where you're from, you pronounce that different ways. And so uh, in the States, we say Niger. And uh, everybody remembers the Charlie Hebdo thing that happened in the last couple of weeks in Paris and the chaos and all that stuff. Uh, that's, and, and the you know, the gunmen that went into Charlie Hebdo and all that stuff. And, and some of that chaos and violence has spilled over into other countries. And, and the country, Niger, that Tim and Janice are serving in has actually been impacted. So Tim and Janice sent uh, an email the last couple of days here just with the report on what's going on. And there's been rioting in their city. They actually sent a picture of a police car on fire. Anytime there's a police car on fire, that's real bad. Uh, that, that just is kind of connected with some of that stuff that was going on in Paris. And, and those guys are safe and secure in the school that they're serving in. Not only that, but they've actually welcomed a whole bunch of other people from the community into the school. So they are safe and secure uh, in that school and just kind of continuing to be a light there. But we can remember to pray for Tim and Janice, can't we? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. And and then, and then, you know, on top of that, just we have international workers all across the world that are serving in places that aren't nearly as safe and secure as the country that we get to live in and the privileges that we have here in Canada. So uh, just remember to pray for those guys. I mean, it, like I said, they're, they're doing really well. Uh, I don't know really well, but they're safe and secure. And, and even the students that they teach in their school have added a little bit of levity to the situation. It's a very serious situation. And they asked the kids how their day was. And, and you know, one of the kids responded with, uh, our day was great, we had a riot. So uh, there's still some, some humor in the midst of that for them, but, but, uh, but you know, it is a serious situation. 
so we can remember to pray for those guys. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna join our hearts together in prayer. And I'm gonna invite you to not just listen to the words, but, but join kind of with me in praying for uh, that search committee that's looking after the community pastor piece uh, for joy and just thanking God for her leadership and for uh, what she's gonna be doing over the next years and, and hopefully for a long time here at Bayview Glen, for Tim and Janice and some of our other international workers. And then after I pray for those things, I'm just gonna ask God uh, exactly what we sang to start our service off, that he would open the eyes of our hearts today to hear something uh, new and wonderful from his word. So let's pray together. Join your hearts with me. God, thank you for joy. Thank you for her friendship. Thank you for the way that she contributes even to the staff culture and environment here. God, I even think about that devotion that she brought to us just several weeks ago in, in our staff, uh, staff devotional on a Tuesday morning and just, God, how you've gifted her, how brilliant she is. And anybody who's taken a class, God, that she's taught or even a class that she's organized and had someone else teach here at Baby knows just how skilled she really is and that you've given her a supernatural ability to equip us with the specific tools we need to live an authentic Christian life. And so we are grateful for joy and grateful for the ways you've gifted her and grateful for the ways that she's leading here at Bayview. God, we pray for this community pastor piece. We pray for Marlon and that search committee as they kind of, um, kind of, kind of steer us and kind of get out on ahead of, of us to really serve us by finding that, that person for that role. God, would you uh, prepare that individual? Would you prepare our church? Would you begin to even uh, call us uh, and the people even in our congregation to, to lead those community environments and lead those life groups or small groups or whatever as we kind of plan that next phase of our ministry here at Bayview to create opportunities for Christian friendships. God, give them wisdom and discernment as they as they lead. God, I do pray for Tim and Janice Phillips. I pray for uh, Jerry and Dorothy Hoganberg, who I saw this morning. I pray for Kevin and Grace, who are headed out, and so many of the other international workers, and, uh, God, uh, that, we, that we come alongside and, and support. God, I just ask that you would give Tim and Janice peace in the midst of chaos, that you would give them just a sense of your unique spirit's presence in that, in that moment and that chaos and rioting and whatever else that they're experiencing. God, I picture the disciples in a boat with the wind and the waves crashing around them and, and then they see something out on the water. They think it's a ghost, but it's you, Jesus, just coming for them. And God, may Tim and Janice see your face on the horizon. May they know that you are coming uh, to be a part and to bring comfort and to bring healing and to bring hope and that you're even using them to be a light in that community. May they know your unique spirit's presence in this moment. God, keep them safe, protect them, lift them up to you. God, and in this moment, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you high and lifted up shining in the light of your glory. That's our goal, that's our prayer, that's our hope today as we open up your word. In the name of Jesus, people of God together said, amen. Mm. Well, we're continuing our series today called Snapshots, a study in the Gospel of Luke. And what we've said is that the book of Luke reads a little bit like a photo album. If they had pictures back then, you could almost imagine Luke uh, wanting to populate his biography of the life of Jesus with some pictures because everything he talks about is like a word picture. It's like an Instagram account. And here's what we've done so far. We've talked about Mary who was a virgin and betrothed to Joseph and an angel showed up and said, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna call his name Jesus. And she said, wow, that is outstanding. And we talked about Joseph and Mary journeying to Bethlehem and, and, and Mary having the child Jesus at Bethlehem. And kind of in the, in the midst of that, meanwhile, uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who was in her old age and, and her husband, Zachariah, also in his old age, an angel came to them and said, you are going to conceive, not virgin conception, but you're going to conceive and have a child and you're going to call his name John. And remember, in short, Zachariah's response, just to summarize Zachariah's response, when the angel says to him, you're going to have a son, his response in summary was, Psh. 
That's essentially his response. Like, you're kidding me, right? And, and the angel says, no, I'm not kidding you. And by the way, I'm going to need you to shush for the next several months until uh, you actually have this child. And the child comes along, and the next thing you know, Zachariah is like, I knew it. I knew it all. No, he didn't say that. He said, we're going to call his name John because the angel said to me that his name shall be John. And so today, that's who we're talking about, is that little boy uh, grew up to be a man. And he was Jesus' cousin, very familiar with Jesus. They likely were very, very good friends. And John eventually died uh, before Jesus went to the cross. John died, and, and it really broke Jesus' heart. These guys were close, the two of them. They grew up together. In fact, when we talked about last week, when Jesus' parents left him at the temple in Jerusalem, remember it says that they were traveling with family and acquaintances? The likelihood is that John, the son of Zechariah, and Elizabeth was with that group of folks that journeyed to Jerusalem and left Jesus behind. I could just imagine the conversation between these two 12, 13-year-old boys. John was a little bit older than Jesus. could imagine the conversation, Jesus going, you left me in Jerusalem. And his cousin going, dude, I didn't tell you to stay back there. You knew what time we were leaving, you know? And so they grew up, and John plays this role kind of in the, in the story of Jesus as the gospel unfolds, and as God unfolds his plan for the nations, John plays this role of preparation. He plays this role of preparation. He wants to prepare a people, to make a people ready to receive what God has given in Jesus. And I want us to take a look, even before we get into uh, John chapter or Luke chapter 3 this morning, I want to take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is the angel's prophecy to Zechariah. When he's talking about John, before John even shows up on the scene, before they conceive, the angel's talking to Zechariah about John. And he says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. There's a lot going on in those two verses. I want to call your attention to two words, one that's repeated, and that's the word turn. You see it there? It's turns twice. And so John's role in this kind of epic story that unfolds called the gospel of Jesus Christ, the redemptive history, is to help people to turn. That's not a word that we talk about a lot in church, and, and, and we're going to unpack what it really means because the word that John is eventually going to use before, you know, when he gets older and grows up, he's going to use the word repent, turn, love differently, change your mindset. That's one of the ways that he's going to help people prepare. And then the second word I want you to see is, look, make ready for a, a people prepared. Make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. So today the title of the message is Roll Out the Red Carpet. John kind of rolls out the red carpet for Jesus. And here's in a nutshell, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about what it means to be prepared, to have a heart that's prepared, to have a life that's prepared to receive from God the free gift of salvation and grace that he gives to all men. We're talking about that kind of a life. What is John saying to us? How is he, what is he saying to you and me today? What did he say to his audience then about being prepared to receive from God the grace that he extends? And I want you to know two kinds of people in this room today. Some, some of you have never said yes to Jesus. <coughs> You've never received that free gift of grace. And I feel like I should tell you in advance, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. The end of our message today, and, and some of you are like, you know what, I've never received that, and I don't want to receive that free gift of grace. That's okay. That's okay, but that's between you and God, and that's fine, and you're always welcome here. But for some of you, you're going, you know what, I've been here for a while. I've kind of learned about God. I feel like, you know, I believe in God, but, but I've never received that free gift of grace that God extends, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then for some of you, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. Maybe you've been walking with God longer than I've been alive. <laughs> some of you have. Many of you have. And, and here's our opportunity today. Here's what God extends to us today. He says, he says look, um, what it means to be prepared to receive from God, that heart that's ready to receive from God, the free gift of, of salvation, is the same type of heart, the same type of posture that it takes to live according to what Jesus prescribes. It, it, when, you, when you want to live abundant life in Christ, when you want to have new life in Christ, when you want to get closer to him and grow in him and learn about him, it's this heart posture that John talks about in Luke chapter 3, this heart posture that's a prerequisite 
It's a heart that's prepared, that's ready to receive from God what he's given in Jesus. So let's see what John says to us today. Let's see what John the Baptist, this snapshot from the life of Christ, let's see what he says to this audience about what it means to have a heart or a life that's prepared to receive from God what he gives in grace. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with us there. And if you have your iPad, iPhone, that's fine. There's a Bible and seat back in front of you. The scripture is up here on the screen if you want to follow along. What does John say about a heart that's prepared to receive from God the free gift of grace in Christ? Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. There he is, in the wilderness. Stop there. I, I went through that really quickly, but I want you to know, did you see all the detail that Luke gives us there? Remember we talked about him being a physician? He gives us a whole lot of detail there. And I would encourage you to even go back and research those individuals and research those leaders that he names there. They, m- most of them were megalomaniac narcissistic, violent monsters is really what they were. And this is the moment that Jesus enters into. This is the moment that John the Baptist enters into. But you know what else he wants us to know? Luke clearly wants us to know that Jesus and John the Baptist entered into a very specific moment in history. Entered into a very specific moment in history. Like what if I told you that I became pastor here uh, in the seventh year of Stephen Harper's prime ministership of Canada? In the first year of Kathleen Wynne uh, being premier of Ontario, while Rob Ford was mayor of Toronto, and while John Havercroft was chair of the elder board at Bayview Glen Church, you would know a specific moment in history that I entered into this environment, wouldn't you? So this is what Luke is telling us, that John the Baptist enters into a specific moment in history. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And he went into all the region of the Jordan. That's the location. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, there it is, the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be, and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Great question. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Great question. And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked a great question. And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He's talking about Jesus. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Here's what happens in Luke chapter 3 verse 3. He gives us kind of a summary of what John's role is, what he's going to do. And then after verse 3, he unpacks that summary in the verses that follow. So look up here at Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Here's what John is doing. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming what? Repentance and forgiveness repentance and forgiveness. Remember we talked about that word turn, that John was gonna help the people turn to be prepared for the Lord so they would turn. This is the same word. It's metanoeo in the original language. It means to 
turn around, 180 degree turn. He says, a, a repentance for what? Forgiveness. So that your sin and guilt may be clear. It's not even in my notes. I just want to tell you, could you imagine a holy God, almighty God saying to you, your sins are forgiven, gone. Could you imagine that? Now that's pretty cool. Because I think this is a critical question for you and me today. Because here's the deal. The, the, the statistics still show that one out of one folks die. Still show that. So it's a strong likelihood that everybody in this room is going to die. And when we do, we're going to face what's on the other side. And in the Christian faith, we would say, you will face the eternal, capital E. And John says to us, I'm proclaiming that when you face that holy God, you can go before him and he can say to you, your sins have been cleared. They've been forgiven. The guilt and shame are gone. So if John's here to prepare us, if John's here to make us ready, what does he say to us about a heart that's ready, that's prepared to receive from God that forgiveness? And so here's the first bottom line point for us today. First bottom line truth is this. It's up here on the screen. The prepared heart knows where it stands before God. The prepared heart knows where it stands before God. And here's the really, really great news about this bottom line truth is that we all stand in the same place before God. We all stand in the same place before God. What John wants us to know, and, and, I've, and I've kind of said it this way today, is that Jesus is the great equalizer. <laughs> When Jesus shows up on the scene, he levels the playing field so that even those who are moral and even those who are immoral, those who think they're godly, those who aren't, the tax collectors, the soldiers, all the people he was talking to, the religious leaders, we all stand in the same place before God. And the heart that's prepared to receive from God, the free gift of grace that he offers, knows where it stands. Look, look at it in the text here. Look at verses five and six. We're going to unpack, that, um, we're going to unpack that, that prophecy from the book of Isaiah here. Here's what, here's what Luke writes, or he quotes from the book of Isaiah. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And we're going to talk about exactly what this means in a minute. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, he becomes the great equalizer, and he puts everybody on a level playing field. Do you know that, that back in those days, like when a king would travel through the desert or travel through the wilderness, he would have slaves or servants that went ahead before him. And if there was a ditch there, they'd get a bunch of dirt and fill it up. Or if there was a rock in the way, they would remove it. This is what John's doing. He's leveling the playing field. And he's saying to everybody who hears him, we all stand in the same place before God. Jesus is the great equalizer and you've got to know where you stand. So then, okay, if he's the great equalizer and we all stand in the same place John where do I stand before holy God pick it up there in verse where are we at here verse 7 verse 7 Luke 3 verse 7 John says or the, Luke writes this he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized listen who's listening to John here the crowds we had tax collectors mentioned we had soldiers mentioned there's religious leaders there he's saying look everybody, here's where you stand before a holy God. Keep reading verse seven. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay, John the Baptist, FYI, is like worst guest speaker in a church ever, right? Like, we would not want John the Baptist to come here with, like, eating locusts and honey and camel hair. That's what Matthew tells us, and a leather belt wrapped around his waist. This wild-eyed, crazy-haired prophet. And he walks up on stage, and he said, let's pray, and Melissa's led in worship, and we're all just ready to hear from God and open our hearts, God. And then John the Baptist comes up here, and he goes, snakes, every one of you. 
like that puts a senior pastor on his heels, right? As I'm sitting over there going, wow, I'm never having this guy back again. This is not, this is not good. But listen to the judgment language that John continues to use here. Listen to the judgment language. Look at verse 9. He says, Every, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, that, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's judgment language. Look at verse 17. He's talking about Jesus. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's fire again. This is not good news. The picture that John is giving us with that winnowing fork piece, here's what would happen. A farmer would gather all of his harvest into a pile. And in that pile, there would be two things. There would be wheat that he could actually sell or make bread with and be profitable with. It was valuable to him. And the other thing that would be in that pile is called chaff. It's like a dried grass. It's not good for anything. It doesn't really profit anybody. And so what he would do is he would take a winnowing fork. The farmer would take a winnowing fork. It's like a pitchfork. And he'd pick up a big pile of wheat and chaff and he would shake it. But the wheat weighs more than the chaff. So the wheat kernels would fall to the ground and he would keep them. And the chaff, because it's light, would actually be blown away by the wind. And that's how he would separate the wheat and chaff. John is saying, spiritually speaking, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he takes a winnowing fork and he shakes us out a little bit. And, and, and those who know him, he gathers to himself. And those who don't are swept away like chaff. Remember we talked about last week, we, we had this point, just because it's true doesn't mean it's okay to say out loud. Do you remember that? So today, again, it's not even my notes, I just tell you. Today, here's point number two. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't say it out loud. So I want you to know, friends, because I love you very, very much, because I love people very, very much, I gotta tell you the truth, that before a holy God, we stand condemned. We, We come up short. You know, Jesus shows up on the scene. He starts saying stuff like, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. What? Be perfect morally like God is? I can't do that. Right. That's right. Or he shows up on the scene and he says stuff like, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses those of the religious leaders, unless you're more morally pure than all these religious leaders who follow every law and have made a whole bunch of extra laws for themselves, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Well, I can't do that. Can I tell you, friends, that if you're in that place today that you go, you know what, I can't live up to God's standard, you're knocking hard on the door of heaven. That's the first step. The repentant, or sorry, not the repentant heart, but the heart that's most prepared to receive from God is a heart that knows that that's where it stands before God, condemned, judged, in trouble before a holy God. And the, the trick is for us that, that, that we kind of ask this question, this, this question of where do I stand before holy God, and we bias it towards ourselves all the time, and we bias our answer towards ourselves. I want to explain to you how that works. So a lot of times we say stuff like, okay, where do I stand before, before God, or what's going to happen to me when I die, or all that stuff. And you know, people will tell you all the time, well, what's going to happen to me when I'm God? I think, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I've done a lot of good stuff, and I've tried to live my life in a moral way, and all that stuff, right? And we think that to ourselves all the time. Don't lie and say you don't. I know you do because I do sometimes. I get caught up, you know, flipping through you know people magazine or us weekly i don't buy those things by the way i just flip through them you know at the checkout stand and i read through there and i go man i am so much more moral than the kardashians right i'm so much more moral than Lindsay lohan it's like you know we tell ourselves you know what i'm a pretty good person like i've never really killed anybody well great your expectations are pretty high there bud you know And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I tell you the truth, if you hate anyone in your heart, you've already committed murder. Oh, ow. Yikes. Because the standard isn't 
other people. When God, when God judges us against a standard, he doesn't judge us against other people. He judges us against himself. Romans 3.23 would say it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's up here on the screen. There's no distinction. Jesus is the great equalizer. We all stand condemned before a holy God. I looked that word up in the original language, that word all, uh, in the Greek the Bible is written in, and it means all. Everybody. We all are sinners before a holy God. And, and we trick ourselves into thinking that we're okay and thinking we're going to make it and thinking that everything's fine when we compare ourselves to others. I want to illustrate this for you this morning. Does everybody know who Mike Powell is? You, have you seen Mike Powell before? Do you know who that is? Mike Powell, do you, do you recognize this guy? Look at those legs, man. What in the world? That's, that's unreal. Mike Powell is the world record holder in the long jump. American guy, world record holder in the long jump. And I was lucky enough, uh, fortunate enough, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, to walk onto a college campus where Mike Powell was training. And it was just him and his trainer, just the two of those guys, and like three or four of my buddies that were all, we're like 15, 16, 17 years old, and we walk onto this college campus, and there's nobody in the stadium except Mike Powell. And he's working on, <coughs> excuse me, he's working on his timing. So that means he wasn't jumping. He would run up to, the, to the, you know, the block that you launch off of on the long jump, and he would just step on it, and then he would just take a few extra steps and slow down and start back again. And he would go about a third of the way back, and then all the way back, and then two-thirds of the way back, and working on his steps, working on his timing, and his trainer's working on his timing. So we wanted to see this guy jump because we knew he, and he hadn't broken the world record yet, but we knew how good he was because he had meddled some of the things. We was like, hey, would you jump? Would you please show us? Would you please jump for us? Would you please jump? He's like, no, 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 I'm working on my timing. I'm working on my timing. It's like, well... We're 16 and, you know, we'll beat you up. Jump, you know, whatever. I don't know what we said. We was like, please jump. We want to see you jump. It's like, no, 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 I'm working on my timing. So literally, literally, me and my friends, we started to chant. Jump, 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 jump. And when you got four, five, 16-year-old kids who won't shut up, what do you do? You jump, obviously, right? So he comes back about two-thirds of the way back down this thing, and, and he, and he kind of takes off. And, he, you know, it, it felt like to me, it looked like to me he was going at about 100%. The reality was he was probably going 50, 60%, right? And he hits this block, this jump block, and absolutely launches off this thing. It was like a cartoon. It was unreal. And he didn't even jump that far, really. I mean, compared to what he usually jumps. Because the world record in the long jump that Mike Powell set was 29 feet, 8 inches. He essentially jumped the length of a school bus. I mean, this is crazy, right? So we go, we cheer and we go crazy. And then Mike Powell leaves with his trainer. And then me and my buddies were like, you know what? He made that look really easy. What do you think? <laughs> and look at me, look at how I'm built. You know, like I got like, you know, my legs, it's like, I got a torso and then like these tiny little, you know, almond joy bars for legs. I and mean, it's like just little, little bitty tiny legs. So so I run up to this thing, I run up to this starting block, and I do one of these things, and I'm, I'm cooking, man, I'm giving it 100% down this track, you know, and I hit the, hit the jump block, and I go, did I get close? Did I get close? My buddy's like, no, not even close, you look like an idiot. Cool, of course. So, so here's the thing, my pal can jump a lot further than I can, right? But, but what if we're both trying to clear the Grand Canyon? It's a mile wide. It's like 5,280 feet. If I jump three feet or four feet and Mike Powell jumps 29 feet, eight inches, let's say he even jumps 28, 29 feet, nine inches, and he breaks his own world record, where do we both end up? On the bottom of the Grand Canyon. At the exact same pace, by the way. And we meet the exact same fate. You see, we compare ourselves to others all the time more morally, and we say, well, I can, I can jump further morally than that person. I'm better morally than that person. And, and, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he goes, unfortunately, other people are not the standard. God's holiness is the standard, and it's the chasm of the Grand Canyon, and ain't nobody can jump it. Be holy as I am holy, Jesus says, and we go, well, I can't do that. And he puts us all on the floor of the Grand Canyon, and we stand condemned before a holy God, no matter how far you can jump morally, because that's the, that's the standard. 
But again, the great news is that God's a God of grace. And he provided a way to bridge that gap. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I got preaching for a minute there. I got to look at my notes here and figure out where I'm at. I think it's funny in verse 18. Now I'm just pointing out things that I think are funny. Verse 18, look at verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Like, how is this good news? (laughs) You snakes, you brood of vipers. You stand before a holy God condemned. How is this good news? Because the prepared heart that's ready to receive the grace that God extends is the heart that knows that's where I stand before a holy God. That's why it's good news. So God's got a grace. God's got a forgiveness. God's a God of redemption. The question on my mind, and the question that probably is even on your mind, so if, 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 you know, if, if, if Mother Teresa's works and some moral person, my uncle or my dad or my aunt or this person that's been in church all their life, if their good works is never gonna bridge that gap, then who can be saved? This is impossible. It's impossible to bridge that gap. It's impossible to, to get to know God and to be in a relationship with him if we stand before holy God condemned. The great news is that the book of Luke everywhere talks about God doing the impossible. Look up here on the screen. Verse, uh, Mary says in, in, in uh, chapter one, verse 37, she says, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, God obliterates the impossible by his grace. That impossible chasm that we couldn't jump, God obliterates it by his grace. At the end of Luke chapter 18, verse 26 and 27, the disciples asked Jesus, uh, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Like, like, if that's the, if that's the standard, if, if that's what I got to live up to, if, if I got to live up to the holiness of God, then what in the world are we even talking about? Like, who can be saved? And look at what Jesus says. What's impossible with man is possible with God. If you're jotting notes down, jot this down. Forgiveness is the impossible made possible by God's grace. Forgiveness is the impossible made possible by God's grace. That God would clear your sin and mine. That he would say no more guilt, no more shame, no more consequences for the wrong things you've done. And not even the wrong things you've done, but the, but the corruptness that is actually who you and I are in our hearts. It can be washed away. So my question, and, and the question of the folks that are listening to John the Baptist is, Well, how in the world does that happen? What do we do then to accept that forgiveness, that free gift of eternal life? Look at at chapter three, verse 10. Back to chapter three here. Verse 10, it says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? How can anyone be saved? What are we supposed to do? But John's already told them what they're supposed to do. Look at verse eight. He says, bear fruits, in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Here's what John is telling those folks. He's saying to the religious leaders and to the Jews and the people who think we're kind of already in God's good graces. We kind of already know God. We're already destined for heaven. Why? Because of our heritage. Because of our heritage, we were kind of born into it. People still think that today, you know, like I was, I was born in, you know, a specific country or I was born into a specific family. I was born into a specific religion and maybe I was christened at a certain age. Maybe I was baptized at a certain age, dedicated at a certain age. And because of my heritage, I'll get into heaven. And John's saying, don't count on that, buddy. Because that doesn't help you bridge that gap. These guys are thinking maybe because of my morality, like I follow the law, I I do moral things, I do right things. And he says, don't count on that, buddy. (laughs) Because that's not gonna help you bridge the gap. What does he say? He says, bear fruits in keeping with what? Repentance. See it? Turn. Turn. So the question or the, the answer to the question, what then shall we do? How can anyone be saved? The simple answer is repent. Repent. 
And we use that word in church all the time. We use that word repent. And, and I want to define it because it's so important. We toss it around. It's in the scripture. I know it's great. And, but, but we never really open it up and define it with clarity. And, and I want to define it for us with clarity because, because that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what John the Baptist is calling us to. That's what John the Baptist is calling those crowds to is to repentance. So look up here on the screen. Repentance is this. It's a change of vision, affections, and mind that always affects a change in behavior. So listen close now. Repentance is not a change in behavior, is it? Because that's a gospel of behavior modification. That's a gospel of, well, you can jump five feet, but if you train a little bit and work a little harder and grow a little bit, maybe you can jump seven or eight or nine or 10. The chasm is still the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Repentance is a change of vision, affections, and mind. Repentance initially was a military term, by the way. And they would have a group of guys, a group of uh, army of soldiers that would come to a fork in the road and they would take the left side or the right side and they would head down that road. And at some point in heading down that road, they would stop and go, I think we took the wrong way. And so when they turned around and went back to the fork in the road and took the other way, that was called repentance, turning. It was a change in mind. We thought this was the right way, but now we realize it's the wrong way. We, it was a change in affections. We did love this direction, but now we know that's not the right direction. We're going to go the other direction. And it necessarily affects and implies a change in behavior repentance does spiritually speaking this is what it is it's saying i got to this fork in the road and i thought where am i going to go when i die and i trusted my morality and i trusted my heritage and i trusted my own goodness and i compared myself to other people and i headed down that road and then on january 18th at bayview Glen on a sunday morning somebody got up and told me that that road wasn't going to take me in the direction i wanted to go and so i turned and headed back and then I tried to behave well again. And I tried to pull myself up by the bootstraps and impress God by my morality. No. I turned and came back to the fork in the road. Instead of trusting in myself and trusting in my heritage and trusting in my morality and trusting in the good things I've done and comparing myself to other people and saying, I'm better than that person. God's got to let me into his heaven. I came back to the other side and I said, I'm going to trust in Jesus because he bridged that gap for me. He loaded me up on his shoulders. And when somebody jumped five feet, somebody else jumped 10 and somebody else jumped 30, he jumped the whole darn way and loaded me on, the, on his shoulders and bridged that gap on my behalf. And it necessarily implies a change in who you are and what you do. See, God's not impressed by our righteousness, but when Jesus puts us on his shoulders and bridges that gap for us, it changes who we are in our heart. It changes who we are from the inside out. I'll give you an example. If I was to tell you, like, you know what? I used to not love Amy, and now I do. My affections have changed. I used to love this thing a lot, and now I love Amy so, so much. But sometimes I smack her around a little bit. You would say, well, then your love for her is what? Bull. See, look, this is what John is saying. Pick it back up. Pick it back up. This is what he's saying. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has not. Be generous. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. What shall we do? Said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Your repentance, your change in mind and affections and vision should affect a change in behavior. Soldiers also asked, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. He says that repentance should, not just should, always affects a change in behavior. And if it doesn't, it hasn't really truly happened. See, this is the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is not uh, thumbs up to Jesus. He's a nice guy. He's a good teacher. And I'm gonna try to live by Christian principles. That's not the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is surrender and repent. I'm gonna say it this way this morning. The heart that's prepared to receive from God a free gift of grace is the repentant heart. We've already said that the heart that's prepared to receive from God what he gives in Jesus is the heart that knows where it stands before God. 
Second thing that John tells us is the heart that's prepared as he's preparing these people, as he's readying them for Jesus to show up on the scene. He says, it's, it's, it's about repentance. It's not about heritage. It's not about morality. It's about repentance and change. I've got a friend. Uh, I met him probably 10 years ago now. I uh, was in a small group, like a Bible study in a home, and we got a knock at the door about 20 minutes into the study, and we got up and answered the door, and this brand new guy that we'd never seen before walked in the door, and he was wearing like black jeans and black army boots and a black flag t-shirt. I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting, and um, (coughs) met him, spoke with him a little bit, said, Hey, man, what's your name? He said, my name's Sean. It's like, where do you come from? You come from a Christian home? No, I don't come from a Christian home. Well, what kind of home did you grow up in? Well, my dad's an atheist. My dad's an aggressive atheist. Oh, okay, good. I don't know what that means. but And then he said, my mom is a passive-aggressive atheist, which sounds great to me. Um, and, and he said, you know what? I started to kind of investigate the claims of Christianity, the claims of Jesus, and I started to investigate the scriptures, and, and I've kind of learned as much as I can on my own, and now I need to be around a community of people to learn more about uh, what God has to say in the Bible. And, uh, and that's why I Googled this small group, and I showed up this small group. I'm like, wow, that's great. What have you learned so far? He said, well... I've learned that our sin separates us from God and that we can't bridge that chasm by our heritage or morality, but the invitation of the gospel is to repent and change, and what God offers is forgiveness, that our sins would be cleared and that we would have a restored relationship with him. And I said, well, I don't know, give or take, it's pretty close, right? Um, And I said, well, where'd where'd you learn this? He said, well, I read the Bible. And I said, what do you mean, like, read the Bible? He's like, well, I read the Bible. Super. I said, well, like, tell me a little bit more about what you learned. He said, well, the first time through, I learned such and such and so on. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. First time through? He said, yeah. He said, well, how many times you read it? He said, eight times. In six months, cover to cover. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's, I should probably quit the ministry now. This is, you know. And I said, and that's what you got from him? He said, yeah, that's what I got from him. So the next couple months, three months go by, and Sean and I become more better friends, and we hang out, and we go to Indian food together, and he was coming to church and all that stuff. And I, I started asking him about three months in, I, to our relationship, I asked these questions. I'm like, John, or Sean, do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Um, do you believe in Jesus and he was a son? Yeah, I believe in, do you believe he went to the cross for forgiveness of sins? Yeah, I, went to, I believe that, I believe all that stuff. And I said, well, Sean, I hate to tell you, bud, but you're a Christian. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, what? He said, no, I'm not. I said, what do you mean? He said, Luke, the invitation of the gospel has never been to say yes, thumbs up to Jesus, that I, that I agree. The invitation of the gospel is surrendering to him. And repentance. And that it always changes behavior. And I don't want that. So I'm not interested. I said, Okay. You understand the gospel better than I do, okay. A couple months later, Sean and I continued our friendship. We'd hang out all the time and talk about stuff. A couple months later, Sean walked up to me after a worship service, just like this, and he held up an empty communion cup. He said, today I repented, surrendered, and I gave my life to Jesus. It's his now. I trusted him to bridge that gap for me. I went back to the fork in the road and I took the other direction. And I know that's gonna mean change. But he's gonna do that in me, not me bearing fruit, not me stapling oranges to an orange tree. Orange tree just bears oranges. That's what it does. The repentant heart just bears fruit. That's just what it does. Those who are ready to receive from God the free gift of grace that he offers are those who know where they stand before him. That we all stand on a level playing field. Every mountain's been made low. Every hill's been made low. Every every valley has been filled up. We all stand condemned before a holy God. That's number one. And number two, the prepared heart is the one that's repentant. The one that comes before God and, and, and says, 
God, unconditional. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm surrendering to your will and your way for my life. Change my mind, change my visions and change my affections and allow that to impact and affect a change in behavior. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Would you pray with me? First, I wanna talk to people in the room that have said yes to Jesus before. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for six days, six months, six years, 60 years, I don't know. Here's the reminder for us today in this snapshot from the Gospel of Luke, the snapshot from the life of Jesus, that we are not called to impress God with the good stuff we do. We're not called to staple the fruit of the Spirit to the tree that is our life. We're not called to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. You know, we, we make this error as Christians all the time. We come to God in unconditional surrender and, and we, we receive his grace. And then some point in the process, we start living by our own power and going back to impressing God again. The one that lives in God's grace on a daily basis is the one who surrenders. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, keyword, daily, daily, and follow me. You want abundant life in Jesus? You want full life in Jesus? You want to see change in your behavior and change in your life and change in your family and change in your marriage, change in your, in your individual spiritual internal life. It's not about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and affecting that change. It's about repenting again and again and again and just coming to Jesus in absolute surrender and saying, I leave that path of trusting me and I just trust you. For those in the place that have never received the free gift of salvation from God, here's what John the Baptist is offering on God's behalf. The eternal almighty God that each one of us will face when we die. Here's what John says that he offers. Listen close now. Forgiveness. So some in this place, I know that you maybe tried to forgive yourself and you can't. Maybe some in this place have tried to, to outweigh the bad things with the good things, but it seems like the scale just doesn't tip and you can't forget. And they still trap you, they still hold on to you. They still imprison you spiritually and emotionally. And you say, man, I'm out of ideas. I've tried everything. I've trusted my heritage. I've trusted my good things. I've trusted my morality. I've trusted all these things. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, great. That's exactly where you are, exactly where I need you to be, is knowing that, that you stand in trouble before a holy God. Jesus says, let me jump that gap for you. I'll put you on my shoulders. And we turn, repent, and look to him for the salvation that he extends. If that's not you today, that's okay. But if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity because I would regret it if I didn't. A prayer to say yes to Jesus sounds like this. It says, Jesus, I've trusted in other things for salvation, for forgiveness, for making me feel good about me and most of all, I've trusted in me. And today I wanna trust in you. I'm gonna trust in you. You know, maybe I can jump further than somebody else or maybe I can't jump quite as far as somebody else, but if your word is true, I believe it is, that I, I stand condemned before you. When you shake that winnowing fork, I will not be the wheat that falls to the ground. I'll be the chaff that's blown away because I did not trust in you for eternity, for salvation, forgiveness. Jesus says to you today, that gift is free. You don't do anything to earn it. He just extends a gift of grace, salvation, and eternity with him. Forgiveness.
So the prayer continues. Jesus, I accept that free gift of grace. I say yes to your invitation. You've invited me into life with you. You've invited me to experience forgiveness and clearing of shame and guilt. And I say yes. And I trust you and you alone. This is the good news that John preached. The gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. If that's you today, if you, if you prayed that prayer and, and said yes to Jesus for the first time, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, I just want you to slip your hand up, would you? Just slip your hand up so I know that's you. Great. Fantastic. God, you are king above all. God, even as we sang a while ago, when the oceans rise, thunders roar, we will soar with you above the storm, not because of the good things we've done, not because of the family or the country we're born into, not because of the way we compare ourselves to others. We will soar with you because, Jesus, you put us on your back and lifted us above the fray. You cleared that chasm for us on our behalf. So God, you alone get the attention today and we close by singing that together. In Christ's name, amen.